Welcome to Pursuit of Relentless podcast. Today, I have an honorary guest today. His name is Scott Miller, and he has the On Leadership podcast and a bunch of incredible books I'm going to get you to tell everybody about for sure. And I just got your book, so I'm super excited to read it. I love your mentorship cards. Those are really cool. I'm so excited for people to get access to you. So thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for the uh, spotlight and the platform. Honored to be here. I'm excited to have you. So what got you into entrepreneurship? Like what, what led you to where you are today? And maybe tell them a little bit more about your, yourself and your business. Well, what got me into entrepreneurship was quitting a 25-year corporate career. <laughs> so in the middle of the pandemic, I left my career with the Franklin Covey Company, the world's largest leadership development firm. Amazing journey. I still consult with them and advise them. But I had you know started at the front line and worked my way up to the C-suite. I was the chief marketing officer in this global public company. And it was a wonderful journey and and I was ready for a change. So I talked very uh, deliberately with the CEO and the board of directors over the course of a year and planned my exit and then quit my seven-figure job in the middle of the pandemic and decided to launch my own speaking and writing consulting business. And it's been about 56 weeks. I'm just a year and one month into it. It's been an amazing journey. Learned a ton. I'm very excited about it. I'm originally from Florida. I live in Utah now. I worked for the Walt Disney Company for four years and then the Franklin Covey Company for 25 plus, 26 years. So 30 years dedicated to the topic of leadership development. As you mentioned, I host the world's largest weekly leadership podcast. Hits about 7 million to 8 million, somewhere there each Tuesday. I interview some amazing guests and wrote a book about it called Master Mentors. And I uh, have a 10 year, 10 volume book deal with uh, HarperCollins. Wrote a few books for Simon and Schuster and others that became Wall Street Journal bestsellers. And like you, I'm just trying to learn and coach, learn and coach, learn and coach. Yeah. Well, it's such a beautiful journey too. And when you document your journey, you just go, okay, this is where I'm at. These are the people I need to meet, or these are the people that I'm looking to connect with. And then all of a sudden you end up on a podcast with someone who has the exact connections that you want or, you know, and I'm just sitting here going, wow, I feel so honored and so blessed to have you. Um, So was there any in your interviews? Was there any that like really hit home for you that you were like, this is my guy or like, this is the person that I need um, to follow more closely? Many of them. I'm I'm contemplative because I'm trying to think which one. You know, I'm like you, I'm a raving fan of Rachel Hollis. I think there's so much to learn from her Mm -hmm. and what to do, what not to do. Rachel's had a rough year, right? I mean, I've learned a lot. I, I, I probably call her in a conversation once a day. You know, Rachel did this right or Rachel didn't do this right. And so I am a big fan of learning from her. Seth Godin is a dear friend of mine. I've learned so much from Seth Godin, the famous marketing leadership author. He's taught me an immense amount about my brand, my messaging, my leadership style. I honestly would say I think Rachel Hollis is my favorite interview because like nobody in my life have I met someone who is a better marketer, a harder worker who uses her vulnerability as a tool to teach and inspire others. Mm-hmm. And so maybe Rachel Hollis. Using vulnerability to teach is yeah. everything. Well said. Yeah. Everything. Ed Milet taught me the six human needs from Tony Robbins. Mm. And I have used that in all of my meetings since, and it's served me so well. When you are able to be vulnerable with people and you're able to show up and just be like, hey, this is what's going on. So for instance, four weeks ago, I 
had a miscarriage and it was just like, oh my goodness. Like I could sit here and be like, okay, well I'm sad and whatever. Or I could go, okay, what am I doing to unite other people who are going through what I'm going through? Right. And I'm just, I went live about it and I was like, okay, well it's fresh, right? It's fresh, but I want to inspire other people. And then figuring out how common it is. I'm like, what? Like, this is crazy, right? So you take the good out of the situations. And like Rachel Hollis's book, Girl, Wash Your Face. Like, just get up and do something good for yourself today. So if that's taking a nap or taking a bath or doing something for yourself, reading a book, getting yourself in that proper mindset staying focused on what your goals are and going, okay, I'm not going to let this hold me down for that long. I was just having this conversation with one of my advisors as well. She was like, okay, how did you get out of the slump? And I was like, I started tracking my habits and just really focusing on the things that I do automatically. And then Mm. you kind of just... You just naturally snap out of it. I don't know. It's interesting. I'm honored you shared that. I'm sorry for your loss. My wife had a miscarriage and I, as a husband, underestimated the emotional impact and toll on my wife. We fortunately had three sons, one after her miscarriage, but it was a life-changing lesson for me. Yeah. And I don't mean to minimize that for anyone, you included and you basically said this is sometimes in life, a disappointment turns into an appointment, Yeah, an appointment for reflection, appointment to share, appointment to help others, right? And how powerful that you were able to turn that tragedy, which is what it is, into a an appointment to help others and talk about it and talk through it. I applaud you. Yeah. I think it's helped me with my healing journey. Probably. 100%. Yeah. I've, that's why I was asking what kind of podcast um, has impacted you because in the last couple of weeks, I've had incredible people put in my life through the podcast world Mm. and just interviewing these people like Trisha Nelson. She owns a company called Heal Your Hunger. And I'm like, okay, I'm an emotional eater. So I see it. That's a week after. And I'm getting conversations with this person who I know is here to help me, you know? And like we were talking before we started recording, Rachel's uh, one of the people who's on my vision board because Mm. yes, she has had it rough this year, but guess what? I know she's not going to stay down because she's the kind of person that fights for what's right. And like for her people, right? Her tribe. Mm -hmm. And so you get someone like that mixed with someone like yourself, who's like, all right, let's go do this, you know? And it's, it's that energy and that excitement that we need to build in this world. And I think if people can get access to your podcast, for example, imagine the leadership skills that you can develop just from listening to yeah. how these people have done it. Yeah. That happens to me. I mean, I've been a leader of people for 30 years. Yeah. And I've learned as much pardon me, from the podcast that I have from my own experience. I, I, I'm often asked, like, how do you assimilate all this information from hundreds of people? I actually host two podcasts. Well, a new one is launching in January called C-Suite Conversations with Scott Miller. I interview people in the C-Suite. But it, it, if you're not careful, it can be overwhelming, right? Because as Rachel says, you know, knowledge isn't power. Knowledge applied is power. Yes. And so there, you have to figure out how do I apply that to my mindset, to my skill set, to my behavior. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, was it Voltaire that said common knowledge isn't common practice? And it was Stephen Covey that <laughs> said to know but not to do is not to know. So I try to know and then go do. Know and go do, right? Try and fail a lot. Trying and failing is everything as well, though. Like when you're able to push through and have that perseverance, that is what leads to true success because it's yeah, how you get yeah. up and how fast you get up yeah. that matters. Nicely said. So tell us what your favorite part about the personal development world is. What was really like, okay, I've made this decision. I'm quitting my full-time job. Um, I'm going to you know, be an entrepreneur because this is what I truly love. 
I'm quiet in reflection to your listeners. <laughs> I'm curious. Uh, you know, this is something that's vulnerable that I will share. And that is, you know, after 25 years in a company, I don't care how great your career is, how great the culture is, you tend to outgrow the culture. And it was kind of hard to be smart anymore. I would go out and, you know, speak in front of 5,000 people and get a raving ovation, come back and get my you know what kicked in the company, right? Yeah. And, you know, all, all cultures can end up maybe not challenging you or respecting you for all your talents. It doesn't mean that they're bad at all. But for me, I think it's the, it's the rejuvenation of feeling smart again. I feel like I have something to add. I think I had, you know, I had a wonderful run at Franklin Covey. What, they were enormously good to me. I was enormously good to them. I still advise and consult with them, like I mentioned. And now it's kind of fun to be working with new clients and doing things that I couldn't do as a corporate officer, right? I had very strict governance by the SEC in the US. And, and um, as a publicly held company, I, I, I couldn't donate to campaigns and I couldn't have you know businesses on the side and very conservative um, um governance in the firm. So I'm enjoying kind of having my wings spread, you know, and, and flying a bit of my own. Mm-hmm. And it's actually working out pretty well. So I'm excited about being complete control of my destiny. I've always been in sales. So I always wanted to have control over my income because income is my number one professional value. It's not my number one personal value, but maximizing my income is my number one professional value. I'm very clear on them. I know what my, my seven personal values are. I know what my three professional values are. And I felt like I did not any longer have control over my professional income. I was 52 years old, you know, 20 years left, likely as you know, income earner or so. And so I wanted to really have complete control of my income. And I can do that for good or for bad as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Entrepreneurship is a, it's the biggest challenge you'll ever have in your life, but it is also the most fulfilling. No, Parenting. Parenting. <laughs> See, I'm not a parent yet. I'm not, I don't know. Well, I wasn't either, but I got to challenge you respectfully on that one. I think it's the second most because my wife and I have three young boys yes. that are seven, nine, and 11, and they all have my personality. And <laughs> trust me, that is more challenging than entrepreneurship. <laughs> entrepreneurship is, it's, it's so much fun for the person who loves a challenge. More and- fun than parenting. Not more fun than parenting. I feel like opinion. parenting is like the most thankless job out there. It's like, the most thankless job. I'm going to make yeah. you a good human. Like, yeah. this is my job is to make you a good human. Like, yeah. Please. Put my wallet down. Yeah. Put my wallet back. <laughs> <laughs> Put my phone down. <laughs> Turn off the TV. You got to earn that. <laughs> oh, it's so true. But in society today, it's... Yeah, the kids are the ones that need the education, right? So if we can teach the next generation of leaders how to get access to these people, like imagine what we have our hands on here. Well, it's really the main reason why I became an entrepreneur besides my income is I wanted to spend more time with my boys and have them involved in the business and see what customer service is like and put together, you know, packages and see how a book is published, right? They see how a book starts on my wall and they go to Barnes and Noble and see dad's five books on the shelves and they realize supply chain, marketing and public relations and, you know, they they understand things aren't just esoteric. Yeah. My three boys increasingly understand cash flow and margin, right? And they understand the money comes in and it's got to go in the bank to fund payroll for my team that's supporting it and such. So yeah. it's been a great tool to teach my three sons leadership and entrepreneurship being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And just think of what you're breeding in them around their friends too. Like they're going to teach all of their friends how to life really, because they're, they're such a big influence. They wish their dad was post Malone. They don't care that I'm a Wall Street Journal best-selling author. Like dad, no one cares. You're not cool. Thanks a lot. (laughs) 
that's how it is though right you never think your parents are cool until you're like an adult and you're like wow you're actually a great human like that's right not letting me thank you when i was a child that's right you know yes it's so funny i can't wait to have a bunch of kids it's gonna happen real soon so i'm like i know you know it's funny my mentor is like if you can just give it like one more year you know like just wait a little bit she's like you will explode your business and i'm like i'm already exploding my business it's gonna happen whether i'm a parent or not you know i hope it happens when you need it to yeah exactly it's time (laughs) we can't time things that's it so what would you say some of the common um behaviors or values of a leader would be well first i think a leader's primary role is to achieve results with and through other people period yeah it's a great phrase but it's profound a leader's job is to achieve results with and through other people And when that becomes your mindset, when that's the mindset, oh, my job is not to be the genius. My job is not to be the smartest person in the room. My job is not to rush in and save the day. My job is to achieve results with and through other people. Then everything changes. You become more patient. You become a better listener. You become a coach. You slow down. You develop capability in others. You realize that your job is to recruit people that are noticeably, palpably more talented, smarter than you are. And you're not threatened by that. You're like, come on in. You know SEO? I don't. Come on in. How do you spell SEO, right? You know AI? Come on in. How do you spell AI, right? But a lot of leaders are threatened by that, including me for many decades. And then I realized my job wasn't to be the smartest person in the room. My job was to be the talent magnet. My job was to clear the path. My job was to ignite their genius. So one, the first I think is to recognize your job is to build capability in others by achieving results with and through other people. Second is to be a talent magnet, is to recruit people who are noticeably more talented than you are and ignite their genius. Third, I would say, is to develop a culture. Whether you are an entrepreneur with two employees, you have 30 or 3,000, you're you're responsible for the culture. And the culture of your little company or your big company or whatever it is, is really how the vast majority of people behave the vast majority of time, whether there's three or 30 of you. And as the leader, you have to model all that. If you want your team members to be trustworthy, punctual, admit their mistakes, not gossip, differentiate between what's important and urgent, make and keep commitments, keep confidences, on and on, you have to model all of that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's a high standard. So as a leader, you have to like deliberately choose, I'm going to be a leader of people because not everyone should be a leader of people. Not everyone should be an anesthesiologist. Not everyone should be a commercial airline pilot. And not every entrepreneur should be a leader of people. You can be a business owner and still not be the leader of people. Your talent might be revenue, product creation, investor relations, PR, sales, because being a leader of people requires all those things and, 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 and. And most of the skills that make you a great entrepreneur don't make you a great leader of people. Your creativity, your energy, your enthusiasm, a lot of times that doesn't correlate to great leadership. Some of the best leaders I know are really quiet and humble and shy and focused. Having people around you that are there to serve you, but in a good way where you're serving their business as well. I love it. If you can find the people that are right for you, that fit with your mission and your vision for what you're creating, they will help rise you to the top. It's- and if, and if, you're, if, you're, if you're a solopreneur or you have just a few employees or you're not big enough to where you can hire in, you know, a leader of people, sit your team down and just be vulnerable and say, hey, listen, I think these are my strengths. I do this well. I mortgaged my home. I second mortgaged my home and I created this product. And I've hired you to help, you know, I'm good at this. I'm good at this. By the way, I'm not good at high courage conversations. I'm not good at confronting reality. I'm not, I'm making it, by the way, 
you need to get good at that if you're going to be a leader. <clears throat> but sometimes it's best to say, these are my strengths, these are my weaknesses, just like you have them as well. And so when I'm falling down, call me out respectfully and private if possible, right? But just to be vulnerable and authentic around what your strengths and weaknesses are and solicit their feedback on them. Because as a leader, when you own your messes, when you own your mistakes, you make it safe for others to own theirs. You give permission. You can teach through your mistakes and you give permission for people to acknowledge what their mistakes are and have it be not taboo, but have it be the culture that we freely surface our sins, so to speak, our challenges. We talk about them. We forgive each other and we all compliment each other and move forward. Now, this may sound like a Pollyanna thing, but it's not. Not enough leaders sit their teams down and say, let me tell you about the biggest sale I ever screwed up. Let me tell you about the time I went bankrupt. Let me tell you about these bad decisions I made and got sued. There's a time and a place to share that and not. We understand that, right? Yeah. Emotional regulation and judiciousness. But if you as a leader will create that culture, people will flock to you. Nobody resigns. There's no great resignation going on in organizations where people are loved by their leaders. And when I say loved by their leaders, it means that they're vulnerable. They coach, they mentor, they apologize, they admit their own mistakes. There's no walking on pins and needles. They just talk freely about appropriate things and they bruise hard and heal fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get it over with. <laughs> you know, it's being able to go, okay, this is what happened, own it, compartmentalize it, and then overcome and go, what did I learn? What am I doing? So for myself, on Sunday, Saturday, I did a charity event and I was around a bunch of kids. That was draining for me. I was like, mm, maybe took on a little much there. But at the same time, it was for one of my best friends and she needed my help. So I'm going to be there. Right. Yeah, awesome. So Sunday, after I rested the rest of the day, I, re- I redid my best version and worst version image of myself because I was like, okay, I'm not the same person I was two years ago. I don't need to reflect back mm. on the person who I was two years ago. Mm. I want to go, who am I at today? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What do I need to staff? Right? What do I need help with? Uh, and then I was able to really just go through and figure out how I'm going to be the most productive, whether that's getting myself organized or um, connecting with my leadership more. Like you said, you have to be vulnerable with your leadership and go, okay, here's where I'm at because they can see your blind spots when you can't. And when you're able to go into those kind of conversations, open-minded and go, okay, how can I learn from this and really focus on what you're doing to move forward, then you're going to grow through it and just be confident in that. Again, beautifully said. I could have said it better. Nicely done. I love it. So where can people get access to you? Mid-conversation, I know, but like I, I really love it. people so, to uh, You can follow me on any, any platform, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. I have a website, scottjeffreymiller.com. All my books are on there. Every episode of my podcast, every episode of my ink column, every article, every column, everything is at scottjeffreymiller.com. All the books that I'm writing in the future are there as well too. So one central place, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y, scottjeffreymiller.com. I'll post that in the show notes for sure. So right now we are talking to primarily... I'd say millennial generation, right? So like 20 to 40 year olds um, that are probably fairly new to the entrepreneur space. So if you could give them some words of advice when it comes to marketing or management or anything in that realm, what would you say would help them? 
One, you need to have a mentor. So you need to get a mentor. And your mentor can be formal or informal. Most of my mentors don't even know I'm alive, right? They've been mentoring <laughs> me from the TV screen or from their podcasts or their books yeah. for decades, right? I mean, Tony Robbins does not know Scott Miller exists. I mean, maybe he does. We have some mutual friends, but I'm guessing not. Get a mentor. And a mentor isn't your coach. Your coach is a coach and a mentor is a mentor. Your mentor is someone in your life that shares wisdom from their journey in ways that it can apply to your journey. They don't try to turn you into their mini me, right? They help to guide and coach you. And you may have many different mentors. You may, have, you may have a mentor on brand. You may have a mentor on product creation. You may have a mentor on relationships, right? But I think as I look back, all of my success is because I learned from people who are smarter than me. But I'll tell you, I typically find mentors that aren't experts always in success. They're experts in failure. Mm -hmm. If I want to learn how to keep my marriage together, I go find someone who's had three divorces. What don't I do? Yeah. If I want to go earn a million dollars, I go find someone who's had four bankruptcies. What don't I do? Right. And so one is to get a mentor. Second, on the, on the marketing side, recognize that cash is king. You can't convert likes to cash or views to cash that, you know, the runway of cash is why every entrepreneur that does go out of business, goes out of business typically because they, they underestimated how much effort and how long something would take. Most people, including me, underestimate how much effort it's going to take and how long it's going to take. And so prepare properly and realistically for that. Right. Thirdly, I'd say on the marketing side is to, and this is sort of counterintuitive advice. You know, in business school, they teach the professors often this, this concept called your total addressable market your TAM, all the possible customers. Well, that's great, I guess, for an SBA loan or for an investor deck. But the fact of the matter is, not everybody is your customer. Not everybody is going to come to your coffee shop or buy your tulips or subscribe to your podcast. Instead, I would follow Seth Godin's advice, which is, what is your smallest viable market? Who is, and this is where Rachel Hollis does this better than any human I've ever met. Rachel Hollis knows exactly who her customer is. She's named her. She knows exactly her age, her income, her fears, her joys, her passions, her frustrations. She knows her anxiety. She knows her dreams. She has a persona of who her customer is and she speaks to her. She calls her her. I think she named her, I think she named her Jenny. Rachel told me once. She calls her Jenny. And I think it's the same for your business is what is your smallest viable market? Who is your customer? What is her name? What is her circumstance? What circumstance is she in? What is the job to be done? Like, what is she hiring you to do? This is a great example we hear. You know, nobody, nobody buys a six inch drill. You buy a six inch hole. What is the job your customer is trying to solve? And then go find everybody in that space. Don't try to be all things to all people. Do not boil the ocean. You will fail. Be insanely deliberate, unnaturally deliberate in resisting the temptation to be all things to all people. Start small, find your customer, name him, get clear on his problem. Make sure you can articulate his circumstance better than he can. Make sure all of his words are in your messaging. Donald Miller, who's one of the 30 mentors in my book, Master Mentors, a famous marketing mind, he wrote, you know, building a story brand. He says, most people's messaging is like a cat chasing a rat in a wind chime factory. I call it leadership. You think that's productivity. I use the word engagement. You think that's culture, right? I, as you get the point is make sure you are using the words to describe your business that are the same as your customers. What are the words they use? How do they describe their problem? And then make sure that your podcast, your newsletter, your columns, your website, your social media post, your business card, all of that reflects the language they use to solve their problem and keep checking in. Honestly, if you did those three or four things, you'd be way ahead of most entrepreneurs right there. I think the very last point that you said there is where people fail is the checking in, continuing to build that relationship and just going, hey, if you don't want to talk to me today, that's fine. 
right? I'm a financial advisor. So you go in and you go, okay, I'm going to help someone talk about their money or have a conversation about their finances with them. And that's one of the hardest conversations that most people will have with somebody is when they're ashamed and they're going, oh, I'm not where I want to be, or I want to be 10 steps ahead of where I'm at right now. And for my audience, primarily new entrepreneurs. So people like myself, I've been in business five years. I know I don't have the same experience as you do. I know that my mentor and my coach are different people, but that took me years and years and years of learning and growing to develop. And Ed Milet has met me three times. <laughs> he may not remember them, but I'm sure he does because he's that kind of guy. Yeah, right. He does. So yeah. <laughs> it was so funny. The first time I got to like actually meet him in person, I was wearing my Arte shirt, you know, just like sporting it, going, Ed, I'm with you, man. Like, let's go. And it's people like Ed who are changing the world. It's people like Ed that are going, hey, no, stand up. Don't don't lay down. Don't play dead. Like, let's go. And I think it's a call to action for everyone. And especially people in our space where we're speaking to audiences that uh, we might not know. It's what's our story? What are we able to go back to? But understanding that we can all learn from each other and we can all grow if we want to. It's just a matter of holding ourselves accountable. Amen to that. Yeah. So it's been quite the journey. That's for sure. I think there's a lot of people out there who want help and don't know necessarily where to start, right? So for me, I listen to podcasts. I read books. I still do every single day. I have a program that I subscribe to called the Arate Syndicate, right? I'm holding myself accountable to that higher standard like we were talking about earlier because in there, I'm not the be-all end-all that I thought I was in the beginning. I'm humbled. I'm around people who are 10 times more successful than me. And you were saying it earlier, you get around the people who are way smarter than you because you're a magnet to people, right? One of my biggest strengths is I'm good at connecting people. So if I'm able to come in and go, okay, I want people to get to know you, then I better ask good questions. You know, I better ask things that people are going to get to know your personality from or um, what you have to offer. So listening to your podcast and seeing who you've interviewed and seeing the incredible minds that you get to be in front of all the time, there's so much to learn. And there's so much wisdom that we can crack into. Definitely. Definitely. And how does it feel to be where you're at right now? Like, did you ever imagine yourself being at the point where you're at in your life? Like, yeah, you created it, right? Like you get to, you get to be there, but did you see yourself standing in on a stage in front of 40 or 50,000 people, you know, or having 7 million downloads or was that just kind of like, oh, this is cool. You know, can I tell you with all humility, I've worked really hard to get here. This didn't fall in my lap. No. I mean, I think, I think a common principle of people that I've patterned my career after is they have this indefatigable work ethic. They just work really hard. Most of these guests on the podcast, I mean, I've interviewed Matthew McConaughey and Doris Curtis Goodwin and Jim McChrystal and, you know, you, you name it, right? Every, I mean, they all kind of come, which is amazing. But I've read 200 books. I read their book and I, you know, and I shaved and I got up early and I got in a suit and I got in, got, got in the makeup chair morning after morning after morning, right? And so I realized there's no such thing as overnight success. There is overnight fame that's often ill-gotten or fleeting, but there's no such thing as overnight success. So what you're seeing with me is 30 years of working my tail off, right? Either, as either a chief marketing officer or a sales vice president or, you know, a hundred quarters in the company. I just realized a couple of days ago, I met a hundred quarterly sales goals in a public company, not 12, a hundred quarters. And so 
to the extent I have now any influence or success, I don't know if I saw myself here, but I do think it's the outcome of having lived a deliberate professional career and having managed my brand well and had some setbacks, of course, right? And made some bad decisions in life and made lots of good decisions in life. So I, I answer your question a little bit differently. And that is, if you look at the pattern of all these successful people, these entrepreneurs, these CEOs, business titans, best-selling authors, what they have in common is most people only see the sixth book. They don't see the five books, right? Rachel Hollis wrote six books that no one wrote, no one read. Grant Cardone, right? It was his sixth book that it hit it big. I think it was the X Factor. And so for me, you know, it's 30 years of, you know, learning marketing and sales and sales management and brand and, and learning how to interview, how to be interviewed, how to write blogs, how to write columns, how to write in reports, how to write press releases, how to write web copy, how to write email copy, how to write books, how to interview, how to be interviewed. So I, maybe I saw myself here. I hope I'm not at my pinnacle yet. I hope I'm on my way. I hope to rise a bit. I'll have a few step setbacks. I'm I'm being careful to learn from those that made it and then got knocked down. Yes. So I'm being very careful to make sure that I manage my brand, which is who I am. Again, Rachel will tell you that you can only manage your brand so much and then it is out of your control, right? But you can control what you say you can control how you apologize. You can control how contrite you are. You can choose not to exacerbate it. And it's a tough world right now. It's a tough world all the time. But you know, right now with cancel culture, all that's going on, it's very easy to offend a lot of people when your technique and your intent were misaligned. And so I try really deliberately to become a little more emotionally regulated. I'm a fairly outrageous person. I have a big persona. I have a ferocious personality. And not everybody loves that. And so I have to go to where my people are. Yes. And be careful not to be pulled down by people who don't like me. Because there are many people who don't like me. Um, at the end of the day, what cares, what matters most is my wife and my three kids and my creator. Right? The rest I kind of can't control. Do my best. But I can't control it. The funny part is the people who don't like you are probably just frustrated with themselves. They're usually jealous. You're absolutely They're right. They're usually jealous. jealous. Why does he have that? You know why I have that? Because I got up every morning at 4 a.m. for six years and I wrote five books. Yeah. What were you doing at 4 a.m.? Right. Sleeping. And when you were in the Bahamas for two weeks, I was hunkered out of my room writing 40 LinkedIn columns. Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean I don't have vacation, but I'll tell you, it's true. Most people that don't like me are either jealous at my success or frustrated with their lack. And it's usually because of my ability to just uh, work hard. I'm not any smarter than anybody else. I just like to work hard. I finished appointments at eight o'clock last night. And then I wrote Christmas cards until 11. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and that's what you do. And that's what you do because it shows that you genuinely <laughs> care about people. That's well said. And you well said. go out of your way to be that person for them and just to show up and go making yourself known in your community, making yourself known to your people, yeah. right? The people who are your potential customers, but also it was really cool. I got a package from <laughs> Switzerland this week because apparently one of my husband's cousins has been following me on the podcast. So shout out to Ursina. Uh, she sent me a little box of joy and it was just like sunshine and chocolates and like everything that can melt your heart. And I just broke down so hard because I was like, I can't believe that someone cared that much How sweet. about me that I've never yeah. met, that they're going to yeah. send me a little gift. I'm like, wow, yeah. that means I'm, I feel like I'm doing something right and I'm going in the right direction because giving value, you don't, like you said, when you're on the journey and you're getting there, in five years from now, someone's going to listen to this and be like, I remember that. Or, you know, oh, I remember when you talked to Scott and it was so incredible. And then, bah, trust me, 
I would love an introduction to Rachel. <laughs> just, hey, Rachel, this is Elena. I'll give you an introduction to Rachel. Uh, you, after you. this, you send, me, you send me an email and I'm happy to introduce you to Rachel's team. You got it. Cool. That would happy be amazing. To. I know our time is ending, but I got to call you out for shaming me. I'm already having your Christmas cards done. That's not oh, cool. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, come on, get it done. But I, I'm building my systems out. Right. It's, yes. it's building out the, the strategies around it. But yeah, starting yeah. from the beginning of November would have been Which much, much better. Still, though, still beginning of December. Nicely done. Yeah, it's good. Okay. So closing out, is there anything that you would say, all right, guys, this is what you need to focus on. So whether that's uh, your personal development or your daily habits, is there anything that you would suggest that people are really hunkering down on? Because this is going to get posted beginning of uh, like January type thing. You know, I, this may sound trite, but this is so true after having been in this business for 30 years. I, I had the privilege of working for Dr. Stephen R. Covey, of course, the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, you know, yeah. one of the best-selling personal leadership books of all time and still sells, you know, 8,000 copies a week. It's insane. He built a billion, multi-billion dollar business. Mm-hmm. But I had the privilege of being a CMO for many years. And that is recognizing your mindsets and your paradigms, your belief systems. We all have deeply inculcated mindsets that are often entrenched in us by our parents for good or for bad, yep. or our headmaster or our rabbi or our first boss. Yep. yep. And so I would just encourage all of your listeners and viewers to really be thinking about as you go into 2022, what are your mindsets about your industry, about your skills, about your competition? about people of other faiths and religions and nationalities and colors and ages, about competitors. Which of your mindsets are incomplete? Which, one of, them, which of them are just flat out wrong? And do you have the maturity to challenge your mindset to see, you know what? Maybe I'm not seeing that completely. I mean, look at the last couple of years, whether it be you know, American politics or the vaccine or mask or no mask or Black Lives Matter, social justice. Maybe just taking a few moments and thinking, so, you know, am I seeing this holistically? Is there any movement in my mindset on this? Yeah. I once heard something I think is life-changing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to misquote it, but it, the essence is here. It says, you know, everything in life seems to be black or white until it impacts someone we love. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking through that a lot, right? I'm like very black and white on this and this and this. And then, you know, my son comes home and says, hey, meet my friend so-and-so. She's non-binary. Like, oh, interesting. Tell me more about that. Yeah. I've never used those words to describe anybody in my life. I don't have yeah. that in my life, but my son has a very good friend now who's in transition or his, you know, any number of orientations that I'm not familiar with in my life, mm-hmm. right? At the age of 54, almost. So I would send people off, have the maturity and the flexibility, the nimbleness, the emotional agility. Just kind of sit back and say, so what do I think about this country? What do I think about that person? Is my mindset so deeply entrenched that they couldn't possibly behave themselves into a different mindset of my mind? Or could I give my mother-in-law a chance to behave differently and have me change my mindset about them? That's what I'd send you off with. I love that. That's so powerful. There's so much to dig into there. And I think that people are going to get a ton of access to your show and really just dig into their mindsets because the people that listen to my show clearly want to grow. They want to be on a, a path to, you know, their absolute version of themselves. So yeah, definitely understand that success is not an overnight journey. It just yeah. looks like that because it just looks like that to person. most. That's right. That's you don't right. see the person until it's the finished product. You right? don't see how many 
TV pilots they taped that were never aired. You don't see how many decades they spent building their newsletter or their blog or their website, and then they did something and then it kind of burst from the scene. Yeah. There's honest to God, very little bursting on the scene. And when it happens, you're usually going to jail yeah. <laughs> or you're on the front page of the paper for the wrong reasons. Yeah. So hey, thanks for the conversation. This is Look forward to the introduction with Rachel Hollis. Send me an email. I'll set you up, my friend. Amazing. Thanks. Well, thank you again. Tell Ed my let I said hello. <laughs> I will. I will. I will. For sure. When I get to see him. Thank you. Happy uh, New Year to his you. island. I'm like, all right, let's go. So Does Ed my let have an island? He bought a hundred acre island recently. Where? For real. Not a clue. <laughs> Where? Son of a... I'm going to call him and ask him. I'm going well, to email go? him. I'm going to email him. <laughs> really fun. But yeah. Awesome. Thank okay. You well, Thank that's you. it for today, guys. We are signing out. Make sure that you uh, like and rank the podcast, share it with a friend and get access to all things Scott Miller. Definitely. So that's it for today. Pursuit of Relentless signing out. <laughs>